right. Hey, good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? We're good. How about that? That worship set this morning was so good. Thank you for the team. Can we hear for the team coming here early and leading us in worship of Jesus? That was just awesome. Obviously, we're not singing to them. We're singing to Jesus, but they led us in that, and it was, it was something special. So um, if you're new to the Transit Church, we like to preach through books of the Bible. And so uh, we just finished Ephesians, looking at that all year, and now we are in Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah. We're going to be looking at Jonah uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And the series theme as the slide shows. So sorry we have some technical difficulties with our slides, but behind me is the one slide. And the series theme, the one screen that is working. And our series theme for Jonah is Mercy Triumphs over judgment, that we as followers of Jesus celebrate the fact that, and we're singing about the fact that we have been showed God's uh, mercy because judgment for our sins was paid to Jesus on the cross. So now instead of judgment, we get grace, we get mercy, we get compassion, and that's what we celebrate about. Now the invitation, that's what we sing about, and that's what we celebrate today, and now the invitation to us uh, on the other side of God's grace is to extend that grace that we've been shown to others. And in this cultural moment uh, for the last couple years, and, and this is just probably a human condition, but we've really felt it palpably with social media since 2020, is the culture wants to give us uh, us versus them lenses. Us versus them lenses to get us into a, a certain camp or a certain side so that we go and, and in self-righteous hatred hate the other side. And what Jesus does is we've been shown grace when we didn't deserve it, um, is he gives us a different paradigm. Instead of it being an us versus them paradigm, Jesus says in the high priestly prayer that it's us for the world. It's a, the us for them paradigm. And that is what we want to be known for as followers of Jesus at the Transit Church is just as we were God's enemies and shown undeserved mercy and compassion, that we would go out and whoever we would be tempted to call the enemy, that we would extend God's grace to and they would receive his compassion and mercy. And that's what the book of Jonah is all about. So hey, raise your hand here if you follow uh, the missionaries that we support, Brittany and Jared. Do you get their uh, weekly updates? If not, uh, don't raise your hand because it might be embarrassing for one of you to raise your hand. But if you don't follow them, talk to Jess DeFruer, our outreach coordinator, and get their ministry updates because they sent a doozy of an update uh, this, this week. And I'm not going to read all of it because there's a lot of deliverance that's mentioned, uh, which we have kids present today. And kids, we're super excited you're here. Kids, who is excited for the sermon today? Yeah, some of y'all. Good. Okay, good. I hope you like two-hour sermons. Uh, so we have plenty of goldfish if you need a refill in the back. All right. Here, I just want to share this ministry update because it's it's just beautiful. It's what we celebrate. So Brittany, Jared and Brittany Larson are ministries that we, uh, missionaries that we support, and they are in Egypt. They used to be in Zambia, and then God called them to, to Luxor, uh, Egypt. And uh, Jared had this encounter with an Islamic witch doctor in the town. And through just a, a divine moment, met this person. This person invited them into his house. He met his sons and uh, got to share the gospel with him, got to pray with them, uh, uh, they both talked about how they both uh, do deliverance ministry. And, uh, and then uh, a week later, the sons texted uh, Jared that their dad got liver cancer and was in the hospital and didn't have too much longer to live. And so I'll spare you all the details, but um, long story short, the way this story ends is Jared is face-to-face -face with this Islamic witch doctor eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball and praying with him to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior and he passes away within 24 hours. 
And this is the end of, you, if you want the full download, I'll give it to you. I'm not gonna share the details because there's a lot in between that, but this is what the end of the update says. God even loves Islamic witch doctors, exclamation point. Now his two sons have been messaging me constantly. I'm believing God, uh, I'm believing God turns his two sons into powerful men of God that can flip Luxor upside down for the gospel. And until then, I'll be discipling them and sharing what it means to follow after their father's last prayer, Jesus be my Lord and use my life. Come on! Is that good? Oh, man. If you guys know Joe Workman, I sent that to him and we talked on Friday. And I was like, did you see that? Yeah, we saw that. That's something we celebrate, okay? And so um, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'll, I'll share this later. I'm not going to share the illustration now. But this is our hope with this sermon series. This is our hope that our hearts, it would be a heart realignment that our hearts would come into alignment with God's heart of compassion for humanity, God's heart of mercy and, and grace for others. And this was Jonah's surprise was also Jared's surprise in Egypt. And Jonah's surprise when he got God's word to go to Nineveh was God even loves the people of Nineveh, right? And this is one of the main themes that we're looking at in Jonah. This is, uh, I said this last week, but because we're still introducing the series, I'm going to say it again. This is the main theme that we're going with, with uh, Jonah, and this is a well-respected biblical scholar, Mark Fatato. he says this, the primary purpose of Jonah is to engage readers in theological reflection on the compassionate character of God and in self-reflection on the degree to which their own character reflects this compassion so that they become vehicles of compassion in the world that God has made and so deeply cares about. The Lord is a God of boundless compassion. Watch this, not just for us, quote Jonah and the Israelites, but also for them, the pagan sailors and the Ninevites. So to catch us up to speed, if you weren't here last week, a simple summary of what we looked at last week is that uh, Jonah was a prophet who was ministering as a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel around 800 to 750 BC during the reign of the wicked king Jeroboam II. Now, Jonah had a sweet gig. It was a really good gig as a prophet in that time. One, Israel was in a unique period of peace and prosperity. The, uh, the borders of the kingdom were expanding. The economy was thriving. They weren't having conflict with the Assyrians. It was great. And then we have a recorded uh, prophecy of Jonah, which was kind of like a, a health and wealth uh, prophecy message, like not really going to ruffle feathers. Jeroboam, this is your season. God's going to use you to bring prosperity to Israel. It comes to pass. And Jonah is, is living in a time in Israel where you would never want to leave Israel right? And at the same time, Assyria, uh, what was happening in their empire was their empire was kind of in decline in the, at this time. Uh, there was revolts, there was famine, uh, there was um, just a decline of, of, of influence in the region. And, and more than that, from Jonah's perspective, Assyria, uh, the Assyrian empire had constantly harassed and oppressed uh, in barbaric and savage ways their enemies, including the people of Israel. So if there was one place on the planet earth that an Israelite would never want to step foot in, it would be the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was Nineveh. And there comes a day in Jonah's life, if you know the story, where God says, Jonah, I'm calling you to leave the safety and the peace and the prosperity and comfort of Israel, and I'm telling you to go to Nineveh. Their sin has a, arisen to me, and I don't want judgment to fall. I want compassion to fall. I want to extend them grace. So you're going to go tell them to repent and receive my grace. And do you know what Jonah says? Jonah says, okay, God, I'm going to do the exact opposite. No, I'm going to Tarshish. 
and we don't exactly know where Tarshish was, but it's about five, like scholars believe it's about the, it was about Spain, about 500 miles east, uh, west, uh, in the exact opposite direction of where God had called him to go. And so today what we're looking at, we're, we're looking at the same text we looked at last week, but I felt like God wanted me to do a, a sermon today on running from God. Running from God, running from God's presence. Because twice in the text we're going to read today, we see that Jonah, it says two times, that Jonah fled from the presence of God. Jonah fled from the presence of God. And initially we laugh and we go, silly Jonah, you don't, you know, you don't have a, a good systematic theology. You don't understand the nature and the attributes of God. God is omnipresent. You can't escape his presence. Like, good luck with that one, Jonah, right? But what that means, uh, more than just kind of like camping out and laughing at Jonah, what that means is Jonah didn't want God in his life. That's what it means. When we don't want God's presence in our life, when we're running from his presence, we are fine without God's presence in our life is, is the lie we believe, right? Um, instead of God's presence being something we love and we live for, it's, it's the opposite. Um, and that is what that phrase means. I want God out of my life. And all of us, if we're honest, we have certain things that we, we don't want in our lives. Like, raise your hand if you like the presence of YouTube ads in your life, right? <laughs> said nobody ever, right? Like 10 years ago, I say commercials, YouTube ads, everyone gets it, right? Like the amount of clicks that we all have gotten to that five-second countdown of skip ad, you know, like, come on, let's go skip ad, skip ad. Like, like that is, and so with, with YouTube ads, what's interesting is, like, I love to watch um, NFL highlights. I don't have the means of watching a full NFL game at my my house, but what's amazing is YouTube will do like an, uh, uh, you know, a, tw a, a 10 to, to 15 minute highlight of the game. And so my son and I love to watch football highlights. It's amazing. But the hard part is like I'm ruining my son for actual football game. He's gonna be like, this is really boring because he's like, this is like one play, then the next, then the play, the next play, the next. And, uh, but you know, ads will come up and, and uh, we have to skip those ads. But, but for me, the, the enjoyment of watching the highlight reel of that football game is worth enduring the presence of that ad. So yeah, give me the ads. I don't want to pay for the premium subscription, so I'll just endure this and, and skip it. Well, there came a, a, a moment, I think it was like four weeks ago, I think when the uh, commanders were playing the Eagles. I went to my parents' house because they got the game. And my son's there, and he's watching the game. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, man, it's going to be really confusing to him because it's going to be way slower than an actual highlight reel. And then commercials start to play. And out of nowhere, I've never heard my son say this, and out of nowhere, he yells, kind of at us and at the TV, Kip Ad! <laughs> Kip Ad! Why are you guys skipping the ad, you know? This is boring. I don't want to have to endure this. I want to watch them tackle each other and run the ball down the field. Skip Ad. I was like, sorry, welcome to the 90s, bro. We still got you know, to watch this. Like, this is how it real, this is, this is a real world. And the reason I share that is this. How often is this our view of God in our lives? enduring his presence to get to the good part. Like I could talk about, hey, what are you, what's your heart going into a time of prayer with the Lord? What's your heart going into his word? What's your heart singing to him? But let's just talk about Sunday service. What's our heart this morning? I'm not trying to condemn anyone, but what's our heart this morning? Is this the YouTube ad that we endure to get to the good part? The Washington and Commander repeat this afternoon at one o'clock? Is this, is this like, hey, Nick, like, come on, Nick, what time is it? Skip ad, Nick. Come on, stop, stop, stop preaching about the, uh, the goodness and the kindness of God. Let's stop singing about how amazing our Savior is. I got better things to do, right? 
And often we live our lives as followers of Jesus, enduring God's presence in our life, not realizing that we've been redeemed to enjoy his presence. And so that's going to be the main thrust of uh, my sermon this morning, the message this morning, is we were created for so much more, that God has so much more joy and peace and love that he wants to give us, and he is the sole owner of those things. He's the only one who can truly give us what our hearts are searching for. And that we are not called to a religious endurance of his presence to kind of check God off the list, Sunday service, good, now I can get God out of my presence. No, we are created, we are redeemed to love God's presence, that wherever his presence is, that's where we want to be, whether his presence is in Israel or whether his presence is in Nineveh. Because we love his presence so much, we're asking God, where are you going and am I going with you? Whether that's here, whether that's Nineveh, whether that's across the street, God, I want to be where you are. And this is what John Piper says. I, I'll give you my outline, and then we'll dive in. Uh, John Piper is famous for saying this. The chief end, meaning the, the purpose for your existence, the purpose for you breathing air right now. Your purpose in life is to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? John Piper says, by enjoying him forever. And then he, he continues, and he says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I feel like that's the invitation today, is, is taking our hearts to the rivers of living water that Jesus is, is holding for us and stop drinking from broken cisterns and having our souls satisfied in the Lord and in his presence today. And so the three points of my talk, and then we'll read the text and dive in, are this. Why do we need God's presence in our lives? Why do we run from God's presence? And how do we stop running from God and start running towards him? Let's read the text, pray, and dive in. Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you, God, and your, your, your uh, scriptures say, I say it again, rejoice, that we as believers have reasons to rejoice, no matter what is happening globally or what is happening personally, that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of trial, we have this great unshakable hope that you have given us in you, Christ Jesus. And so I pray that through uh, this worship gathering today, through the worship and through the word, Lord Jesus, that you by the Spirit would, would satisfy thirsty souls, emaciated, dehydrated souls, Jesus, that you would become our treasure, you would become our delight, that you would satisfy our hearts again. And for the souls that are crying out, return to me the joy of my salvation, God, that that would happen today, that you're better than anything else this world could tempt us with. You're better uh, than anything that uh, Tarshish could tempt us with, anything that the comforts of Israel could tempt us with, so that when you call us to go, we go because we want you above all else. And if you're in Nineveh, come, come, come anything that comes against us, we're going with you, God. So would you infuse that? And if there are people here today who haven't tasted and seen your goodness, God, I pray that right now by the Spirit, you would wipe away and wash away lies that they have believing about your goodness, God. And they would hear today, and they would believe, and they would receive your goodness that we sang about this morning. That you are a good God. You are a kind God. You are a compassionate God. And you want nothing more than for, 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 for sinners to come and experience your grace. And to be adopted into your family. 
and to enjoy your presence forever. That's how kind you are, how good, good you are, to the extent, Jesus, that you would come and chase us down to the extent of giving your life so that we could have life with you forever. So thank you, God. We pray your blessing over your word. Lord, would we receive this Sunday with glad hearts because that brings you the most joy when we're the most glad and satisfied in you, God. Uh, we pray this in your mighty name and all God's people said, amen. So asking and answering the first question, obviously, I could, we, uh, entire libraries could be filled with this first question of why do we need God's presence in our lives? Well, the reason I wanted to ask that is in our text, we see this, Jonah fled from the presence of God. And if I were to restate that to, to, to help you understand the first question, why I'm asking it, it would be like this if I were to restate it. Jonah chose to stop drinking water. Jonah chose to stop eating food. Meaning this, the second you hear that, you go, oh, Jonah's dead in a little bit. Jonah ain't going to be able to live. Jonah ain't going to be live for a, for a while if he stops drinking water. And the truth of the matter is this, is all things were created by God and for God. That if you're here today, you are here not by accident. You're here because you were spoken into existence by a creator who loves you and designed you to be connected with him relationally. It's not religion, it's a relationship of you being connected to the, the author, the source of your life, and the sustainer of your life. And what humanity has done, and we said, we've, we've said God is, is dead, we don't want anything to do with God, and we've turned our back, we've severed that cord, and we've gone to seek out life sustenance elsewhere, outside of God. And it's like me holding up this phone, and uh, basically this phone is disconnected from its source of life, right? This phone is on a shot clock. 92% battery life, okay? Somewhat of a newer phone, you know, God. But, but this phone is in the process of dying until it gets reconnected back to the source of life. And that is the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus Christ came to do, is that sin separates us from God, who is the source of our life, and therefore our sin leads to death, leads to eternal separation from God forever. And Jesus is the great reconciler where he came to reconcile us who were separated and plug us back into the source of life. But here's the thing about, about uh, relational, God's, God's relational presence in our life. It's not just mere survival. It's soul satisfaction. It's soul satisfaction that we have eternity in our hearts, this eternal longing that we're trying our best to satisfy, like this phone trying to drink coffee to get energy, Right? Or to go to McDonald's and eat a Big Mac thinking this will give me energy. No, there's only one thing that will recharge this phone and it's being connected to, you know, USB port, right? And it's the same with us. It's not just God's presence uh, is mere survival for us. It's not just that we endure God's presence and we, we see his presence as, as bread and water just surviving through life. No, more than that, God's presence is also soul satisfaction. That only in God's presence do we find what our souls are looking for. Let me, let me share some verses with you from the Psalms and then from Jesus himself. Psalm 1611 says this, talking, the psalmist talking to God, pouring out his heart to God. You make known to me the path of life. Watch this. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is how God has revealed himself in the scriptures to his people saying, I am what you're looking for. It's found in me. It's found in knowing me. It's found in trusting in me. It's found in praying and fellowship and communion with me. I love that. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Psalm 34, 8 says this. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I love that. It's just this overwhelming, like if you, if you, uh, you know, you go and you get a good sandwich or a good burger. It's my birthday today. Don't sing me happy birthday. Don't wish me happy birthday. But I've been thinking all weekend about what, I'm, am I going to get wings? Am I going to get a steak? You know, what am I going to get? I'm going to just, just hashtag treat yourself day for Nick, right? And so I don't know. Wings or steak? I don't know. I think I might go wings. I don't know. We'll see, okay? But when I bite into a good steak, right, this is what the psalmist is saying is, oh, it's not, I'm not eating that food just for mere survival, like wa- drinking water, like this water here. It doesn't, it doesn't make your, your taste buds explode, but, but when the psalmist is beholding the glory of God and surveying his goodness and his mercy and his compassion to him, he just overwhelms with, with joy. It bubbles up out of him, and he says, oh my gosh, God is so good. He's so kind to me, and I don't deserve it. We talked about last week, what do we feel like we, what, that God owes us? Do we believe that God owes us mercy, or do we believe that God owes us judgment? And how we answer that question will change everything about how we relate to other people and how we view the Lord. And his love for us, he extended us mercy through his son. And then Jesus, I love the upper room discourse, and three times, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but three times Jesus talks about the fullness of joy being given for his disciples. Uh, look at John 15, 11. Verses should be on the screen behind me. John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you, watch this, Jesus is saying that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now look at John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then, hey, disciples in the upper room, in case you didn't get it, John 17, 13, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, but now I am coming to you and these things I, I speak into the world. Jesus Why are you speaking these things into the world? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It is good to know Jesus. It is good to know God. We don't ever have to endure his presence. His presence is everything in our lives. And what we learn here is that Jesus longs to infuse joy into his followers. Not just a little bit of joy. The language that Jesus uses in the upper room is the fullness of joy. In John 7, 37-39, Jesus says, Come to me, everyone who thirsts, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it's like Jesus had a pitcher, and it's full of joy, and he's holding it out to the world, and he's holding it out to his followers. He's talking to his followers. And he's saying, Fullness of joy is only found in me. I have what you're looking for. Do you want it or not? And if you want it, we say yes. But how often do we say yes? And we say, okay, Jesus, that's enough. Thank you. I don't want to get too extreme. Don't want to get too emotional. Just a little dab will do you, okay? Put the lid back on, right? And what Jesus is saying, I don't want to give you a little dash. I don't want to give you a little shot of joy. What Jesus is saying is, I have so much joy in me. John Piper says, God is gloriously happy gloriously happy. And the reason I'm honing in on this is because if you don't believe that, you won't come to him. And so what Jesus is saying, I want to fill you up so that this thing I keep pouring in by the Spirit, joy, peace, love, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, I keep pouring that joy into you so that it overflows to other people, which is exactly what we don't want. So that your fullness of joy, so my fullness of joy filled up you, and then your fullness of joy overflows and starts filling up other people. 
right? And how often do we, because we don't want to talk about emotions, we don't want to, oh, I don't really want to, oh, I don't want to, sh- don't, don't want to you know, uh, 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 be too showy and, and emotional. And, and I, I, when you encounter the glory of God, when you understand the gospel and his goodness and, and what you deserve and yet God in his kindness, what he gives you, I mean, it's hard for me not to let out a shout. A hallelujah. Right, this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the, the prince of pe- preachers in the 20th century, well-respected biblical scholar and, and preacher. He says this, I love this, and this, I'm sharing, Martin Lloyd-Jones sharing this quote because he is highly respected in the Reformed camp who uh, are known for uh, not wanting uh, emotional displays of affection for the Lord. All right, Christians are so much afraid of excess and enthusiasm that they are only satisfied that they are Christians when they are really miserable. It's like, ooh, that's kind of harsh, right? Man, but how often is that true? Like, watch this, okay? Sorry for another football reference. It's football Sunday, and uh, thousands of people will be filling stadiums across the nation today, maybe even in London this morning. I don't know if they're playing in London this morning. They'll be dressed up, right? They'll have face paint on, and um, they don't care at all about what the other person thinks about a, a visible display of affection, about joy when a touchdown happens, right? Like, uh, they, they don't, they don't, they don't, like, like, it would be so weird if you go watch, like, Patrick Mahomes do his thing in, like, the last minute and scores a touchdown and you're a Chiefs fan and you're just like, okay, guys, hey, let's not get too serious. Everything, everything in the stadium, done in decency. I'm not saying disorderly, whatever, but I'm saying, man, the fullness of joy. This is the language of Jesus. He's got so much more. He's drawing us in. He's drawing us in. And, and the first thing we do, as Jesus says, is until now you haven't asked for that. Begin to ask for that and begin to believe that I am the source of that joy that you're looking for. So that begs the question, well, well how then does that transaction take place of, of his joy becoming our joy? And uh, there's an adage that Misery loves company, right? Misery loves company. And what the meaning behind that is, 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 is if you are around someone who is overflowing with misery, then the overflow of their misery now becomes your misery, right? Their misery, they say, the fullness of my misery, I long to share with you and I give it to you and then you, and then misery loves company, right? Misery needs someone to share that with. Like, I gotta share this with somebody. And what we see is that Jesus has joy. Jesus says that my joy, that God is gloriously happy, that I have something I want to give to humanity, that I am the supremely valuable and worthy uh, 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 being in all of existence, and I alone hold the keys to what your soul is looking for. So come to me. It's the greatest invitation that could ever be given to humanity is, is, is to come to God with your thirst so that he could satisfy your, 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 your longing and quench your soul's thirst. And so the way we get this joy is through his presence. Jesus says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And so as we get to know God, as we get to study his word, as we get to gather, as we get to sing his praises, as we fellowship with him in prayer and ask that God would reveal more of himself to us, we begin to get filled more with the spirit like we talked about in Ephesians 5 and God the overflow of God's joy becomes our joy as well and the reason I'm holding in on this I know that we're going to get back to the text here uh, soon is if we don't believe this 
that God is full of joy and he longs to give us that joy and that peace and that love, we will loathe God's presence, we will flee from God's presence rather than run to him and enjoy a relationship with him. If you view God as a miserable, old, angry man who's constantly waving his finger at you and telling you to stop having, you know, fun or whatever, you, you, you will live under that religious, dutiful obligation and not have joy when instead we have a joy-filled shepherd who is calling us to follow him not saying that joy is going to be found in happy circumstances. Life is suffering in various degrees. But the fact that we have a shepherd full of joy who longs to give us more of his presence through whatever season he calls us to, that is our hope. And here's the invitation, and then I will, I will uh, eventually get to uh, my second point. Actually, no, I'm going to go over here. If you believe this about God, you'll never want him out of your life. If you believe this about God, you'll never, you'll never want a second without his presence in your life. And the only way, if you're struggling with addiction this morning, the only way to get over that addiction is by the, the overwhelming power and enjoyment of, of a greater power and affection for God. And so the invitation out of addiction is not focusing on the addiction and, and all that. It's a whole other thing we're not going to get on, but, it, but most importantly, that is an invitation to become white hot in zeal and passion for God and loving God and getting to know him more than you ever have before. So why do we run from God's presence? God's presence is everything. He is an overflow. He wants to overflow his presence into us of joy and love and, and peace. And, and if we flee from that, we flee from any true lasting abiding peace in our lives. And so God is calling us back to relationship with him. But why do we run from God's presence? The reason we run from God's presence, my second point, is we believe something else is greater than God's presence in our lives. For Jonah, when the word came to go to Nineveh, uh, for Jonah it was this, Tarshish without God's presence was better than Nineveh with God's presence. Uh, Jonah uh, uh, looked, uh, put God and Nineveh in the scales with Tarshish and without God, and uh, the other one won out. So God's presence is not worth going to the Assyrians. I'll lose God, but I'll preserve my will, my rights, and my life will be better. And here's, I don't want to focus too much on that. I felt like the Lord wanted me to lead this in this invitation. Here's the invitation. That, jo that God, I believe, was trying to invite to Jonah into this. The more we get to know God, it's not just that his joy becomes our joy, but we begin to have our joy rooted in what, God, what brings God joy. Let me say that again. The more we get to know and love God, it's not just that his joy becomes our joy, but we begin to have our joy rooted and grounded in what brings God joy. So I, uh, my wife is a pescatarian. She likes to eat a lot of veggies due to health issues. I never liked to eat a lot of veggies, but in love for my wife, as I gotten to, to know her and love her and in her presence, her joy, her joy being rooted in bell peppers and hummus has now become my joy. And I never thought I'd ever confess this publicly, but I love bell peppers now. I love them. Hummus and bell peppers. Almost every day, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to go to the store and get me some bell peppers. Or, or organic bell peppers. I'm like, of course not. Just regular old bell, bell peppers, you know? But through my relationship with her, it wasn't, it was, it was the fact that what actually her joy was rooted in my joy. And the same, th this is what I'm getting at. I was at a conference last, a couple months ago, and I heard the speaker say this. The speaker was having a, she was a missionary overseas and was just exhausted. Saw God do some amazing things, but was gassed and had a Jonah moment. 
And she was like, I am done. I'm fleeing to Tarshish, God. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm spent. And, um, and, and she was kind of angry, kind of like a Jonah moment. I'm angry at you, God. Why did you call me to this? So difficult, something so difficult. And she felt the Lord in that moment of prayer and crying out to the Lord say this. And this rocked me when I heard it. She said this. She said that she felt the, the Lord by the Holy Spirit put this on her heart. I called you into ministry because my favorite thing to do is ministering to broken people. And I just wanted to do it with you. And I just wanted to do it with you. That God's favorite thing to do is to see lost sinners come home. God's favorite thing to do is see his gospel go to the ends of the earth, to the nations. God's favorite thing to do is to see the afflicted set free by the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit. These are things that God enjoys doing. This is where his joy is rooted in. And so when God invites us to be on mission with him, it's not like, oh, I gotta go. He's inviting you on a journey to do, to partner with him, that which he loves to do, that which Jesus came to do, that where his joy is rooted in. And when our joy, as we get to know God, begins to be rooted in what his joy is rooted in, then we'll go to Nineveh. Then we'll go to those that hate us and will persecute us and malign us. So our prayer then is, Jesus, where are you going? What are you up to in my life? Where are you leading me in my life? And am I going to go with you? Don't pass me by. I want to go with you. I'll wrap up with this last point. How do we stop running from God's presence? How do we stop running from God's presence? Obviously, all these points, you could do a whole sermon on each one. But I think the simple line that came to, to mind for me as I was preparing for this, was clarity of sight is what keeps us from flight. Clarity of sight, clarity of vision is what keeps us from running from God. And what the enemy does, our own sin, or what the world will do, is uh, we'll distort our view of God, we'll distort our view of sin, and we'll distort our view of serving others. So uh, 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 our, our view of God, we can have blurry vision, distorted vision, fake news on God, that we believe God is it's just angry and constantly displeased with, with us. And, and because the reason he called Jonah to Nineveh is because he hated Jonah and wanted him to, to suffer rather than he loves Nineveh and he loves Jonah. And he was inviting Jonah to come and minister uh, to the Ninevites. Sin comes and uh, uh, distorts our, our, our view of our own sin. Uh, one of my youth pastors growing up talked about sin. I'll never forget this illustration. He called it a, a maggot-filled hot dog the maggot-filled hot dog of like you, you're like, man, this hot dog looks uh, amazing and, and delicious, uh, like Tarshish, like, man, if I can just get to the, the coast of Spain, sipping on daiquiris and away from God's presence, like that will be where true life is found. And then you bite into that hot dog and you realize that it was a lie, that what our sin promises, uh, fleeing from God and fleeing from other things, is sin promises to give what only God can give, and it doesn't actually give it. And so that's how we end up in, in really hard situations is we're constantly running to horizontal things to fill our hearts full of joy when God is standing there the whole time crying out saying, I am what you're looking for. Turn from sin and turn to me. And then sin also distorts our vision and our view of others. We believe selfishly that the best life to be lived is a life of living for myself, not laying my life down for the cause of Christ and living my life for the blessing of others. And so what sin does is it changes the chief end of our life that it is more blessed to get and to receive rather than to give. 
And instead, as Christians, what we know is that true life and true peace is found is when we don't live selfishly, but it's more blessed to actually give away to others what we've been given from God rather than keep that to ourselves. And because the bottom line is this, if our spiritual vision, if our spiritual sight is perfect, where we see God clearly, we see our sin rightly, uh, we would never want to leave God's side, right? And so that's why we pray that Ephesians 1 prayer. We prayed it so much when we were in our Ephesians series is, God, would you open the eyes of my heart to see you rightly and to see my sin rightly? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal the beauty and the worth and the, the, the awe of knowing Jesus and, and how everything that sin is tempting us with pales in comparison to that. And so I'll conclude with uh, this. Maybe you're here today, and as I've been speaking, Lord willing, the Holy Spirit has brought conviction in different areas, but, but maybe some of you have been running from God. Maybe some of you don't know God, and you've been running from, from God, and you, and you ask, um, um, how do I find my way back to God? What do I have to do to get back with God? So I'll share this story. I'll conclude with this story, and then we'll take communion. In college, my junior and senior year, I shared uh, uh, like a four-bedroom, five-bedroom, single-family home with like 18 dudes, okay? And one of my best friends had a miniature schnauzer dog uh, named Chewy. And um, this dog had a Napoleon complex. Uh, we got him as a puppy. He was a very bad dog. We had a love-hate relationship, me and Chewy. Um, was a really bad dog. He was raised by a bunch of college kids, so that's probably why he wasn't a well-behaved dog. Um, but one winter break, it was either my junior or senior year, uh, my friend Toby, he uh, was up in Vermont with his family and couldn't take the dog. And so I was watching the dog. It was just me and Chewy watching the dog. I was watching the dog. And I was like, man, this is going to be good for us. We're gonna, I'm going to ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to reconcile with Chewy. And uh, anyway, so we, I take him to my favorite place ever. I take him to uh, my parents' cabins in the Shenandoah Valley. It's the middle of winter. It's uh, cold. It's just one of my favorite times to be there. Warm fire, a cup of coffee, all this stuff. So we get there. We're just going to spend one night there. And uh, I am, fire's going. It's cold. It's winter outside. Uh, I'm leaning back in the chair, reading a good theology book. And then what does Chewy do? He crawls up on my chest and sleeps on my chest as I'm reading this book. And then we like snuggle. And I'm like, this is amazing. But now you need to get off because I'm going go to <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed, okay? But then I wake up, and I um, wasn't a dog owner, and, and I, you know, I didn't know this about dogs, but I did in, in, in a moment. But I wake up, and I'm like, he needs to use the bathroom. I don't want him to use the bathroom in the house. So I opened the door, and it snowed that night. There was a dusting of snow. It was, it was like, sub, it was really cold. So I opened the door, and it's like all of Mount Everest just floods into the you know, into the, the cabin, and I kind of like scoot him out, you know, like go use the bathroom, and, and I go, and I don't know how long I was gone for, but I was like, there's no way he's going to run away. There's just no way he's going to run away. It's too cold. We had a moment. It was cozy in here, the cabin. It was great. Like, he wouldn't want to leave my side, and then I, um, I come back a little bit later. I'm like, Chewy, Chewy, come back, come back, you know. I don't know where he's at, and I'm like, okay, he heard my voice. He'll come back, and then I go, and I'm like, you know what? I think, I think he might have God, so I open the door, and I'm yelling for him, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this just got real. I think this guy's gone, and then all of a sudden, I have this thought flash across my mind. I go, why would he want, why would he ever want to leave, and then in that moment, this was a season where I was in college, and I was running from the Lord. I felt the Lord say, why do you always want to leave? It's clear as day. 
And it's like, Lord, hold that thought. I need, I, need to, I need to chase down. So I got, you know, like boots, no shoelaces on, and my PJs, like, and I'm running everywhere, and I'm doing like, a, I'm like, I'm going to find him. I do this radius, and then I run to another cabin, another cabin. I'm looking for him. He is nowhere to be found. I'm trying to do like a detective work and find snow prints in the sand to try to figure out where he went, and I'm like, oh my gosh. How am I going to tell my best friend that I lost his best friend? How am I going to, like, this is, this is crazy. I finally get in a car, and I'm on the roads to the cabin, and I'm probably a mile out around the bend, and I'm like, if I don't see this dog on this stretch, um, he's a goner, and this is really bad, and that would grieve me because, because he's valuable to my best friend, he's valuable to me, and I cannot lose, cannot lose Chewy. And so I finally see him, like, probably five cabins down, probably like a quarter, uh, three-quarters of a mile away from our cabin. There's just absolutely no way I would have found him on foot. And I see him probably from, from me all the way to that back corner. I stop the car. I get out, and he looks at me. I say, Chewy. And I call his name. And he lifts up his head. He's covered in snow. And I'm like, come on, boy. You know, like, get on over here. And he has this moment, this thought when he heard my voice. Do I want to keep running, or am I going to say yes and hop into that, and hop into that car? And by the grace of God, he came running back when he heard that voice and came, and came home. And the reason I, I, should, and I didn't have to tell my best friend that I lost his best friend, and now I have a great sermon illustration. So, um, but this is what Jesus shares. Some of you might be wrestling, and band, you can come on up. We're, we're concluding with this. One of the hardest things to grasp is how God could love us especially when we're aware of our sin and our failure and our shortcomings. And although we in our sin are prone to run from God, God, as C.S. Lewis says, is the great hound of heaven, that we are prone to wander and God is prone to chase. Why? Because you chase after that which you love. You chase after that which you value. You do not dare lose or let someone leave you that you care and love about. And if God did not love Jonah, if God wasn't compassionate towards Jonah as Jonah was fleeing from his presence, then the story of Jonah would have ended at verse three. And Jonah fled to Tarshish and God said, good luck, I'm done with you. And God's grace to us is he never says that as long as there is breath in your lungs, it doesn't matter how far you've gone, what you've done, how far you've run, the, the command, the invitation of God is I'm, I'm here. If you would just turn and say yes to my call to receive my grace and to stop running, you don't have to run back. I'm right here. You don't need to know the way back. You need to know the one and give your life to the one who knows the way back. This is how Jesus shares the story I told in Luke 15, 33 through 7. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. What, did you guys catch that? Jesus is saying, I want you to share the joy that I have when lost sinners come home. Yes, the shepherd is rejoicing, but he goes home and he says, come and rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. You see that joy, that language again, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You and I chase after that which we love most, and God the Father chases after sinners. He, in his undeserved grace, loves sinners. And this is what communion is, what we celebrate with communion. If you're here and a, a, a Christian uh, in good standing with your church, we invite you to take communion with us. Um, this is God's pursuit of humanity. Uh, we don't, uh, we receive his grace. Religion would tell you that we have to prepare a table for God, that we have to come and, and prepare this meal as an offering for God. And what God in his undeserved grace to sinners, knowing that we can never do that, he prepared a meal for us, his broken body and his shed blood. And then he invites us to the table to come. A God, what do we learn about God in communion? We learn about that Jesus Christ is a God full of love, full of compassion, full of grace, and full of joy that he wants to invite sinners to come and fellowship with him at his table forever. So let me pray. We'll take communion and sing to our King. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, for your grace shown to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the ways, Lord God, as we reflect. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you by the Spirit would recall to people memories where they were wandering from you, running from you, and, and your pursuit of them, calling them out of, of, of sin and calling them back home. And I pray today, Lord, that people would hear your voice who have never heard your voice. Those that don't know your goodness, and they would hear your voice calling them to come home, to receive grace, to receive salvation, to give their life to you. If that resonates with you, pray this prayer, Lord, God, I want to stop running from you. I don't want to live life without you anymore. I want to know you. And so I give my life from you. I stop running. I run from all the things I've been running to to bring me joy, and I want to know you. And so would you forgive me of how I've boxed you out of my life, how I've run from you? And would you bring me into your kingdom so that I may know you and follow you. So Lord, let that happen today by your spirit. Would you move in this room? And would you, for believers who are weary and heavy laden, would you infuse fresh joy, God? Joy in your gospel, joy in your goodness, that your joy today, God, leaving here with everything that's going on globally and personally, with everything that's going on, that you, by your spirit, would fill us with your joy today, God, as you promise to do. Pray this in your name. Amen.